0: Welcome to the Zero Hour podcast sponsored by Beecher Madam, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic and data world.
1: cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals, leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions.
0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast and I'm your host, Carl Sharman. Today we are joined by Partha. Partha last week left insurance company Guardian Life for a new exciting opportunity at BMO in New York. Partha has worked at major organisations such as Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, all within cybersecurity architecture, engineering and strategy. He has two Masters of Science within technology and cybersecurity. so hope you enjoy it. Hi Partha, thanks for joining us today.
1: Uh, my pleasure, Carl.
0: Excellent. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in India, eastern part of India. Okay, excellent. And who are or were your parents?
1: Uh, I come from a family. My father was in army, and uh, my mother was in education. She used to work in an industrial training institute. Excellent. Where did you grow up? I grew up in India. I did my schooling in eastern part in uh, Tripura, and then I did my uh, engineering four year uh, in electronics in India as well. And, uh, I worked in India for a couple of years before moving over to US. Where were you educated? <laughs> So I did my undergrad in engineering from National Institute of Technology, Rautila, which is in India, is one of the top 15 engineering institutions in India. And after that, after coming here, actually, I did my uh, master's in technology management from Columbia University. I also did a master's in cybersecurity from Western Governance University. And I did a a post-grad cert in cyber from Stanford as well. Why did you do all the extra education? Oh, uh, that's actually a very uh, good question. I mean, I did my undergrad uh, in engineering, then I started my IT career, and I worked for, uh, uh, like, almost, like, 15 years. I never felt a need that I need to do an extra education because, to be very honest, the practical experiences, all that, it matters. But uh, then after, like, spending almost, like, 19 years in my career, I thought that I should get some uh, management uh, uh, education, right? And when I applied in Columbia University, you got accepted, and uh, you know what? I mean, getting accepted in Ivy League, I mean, you don't definitely want to lose that opportunity, right? So it's a great education, great program, great meta network, and at the same time, a lot of uh, industry connections and learning real uh, time and life experience from the C-suite. So that really added value. And prior to joining this program, I about this program from uh, ex-Columbia grads and I, I learned a lot of great experience that it really makes you to build a better leader. Yes, we have been leading for 20 years in the industry, but that education uh, definitely helps. That was the reason why I took that management degree. And regarding my cybersecurity masters, so even though I'm doing cyber security, I was not covering all the domains because I was focusing on architecture and engineering and uh, not really that much into like a governance, risk, compliance and other domains, domain areas. And this program was focused around like information assurance and GRC and all. So I thought that I'll be learning something new, and I'm glad that I did that program.
0: Excellent. How did you first get into cybersecurity?
1: So uh, that's also a great question. I started my career as an infrastructure um, person. I was a network engineer. I set up uh, one of the largest ISPs back in India. And uh, then I came to U.S., and I started doing infrastructure architecture, and around 2008 there uh, came up an opportunity in Merrill Lynch and later on in Bank of America they opened up cybersecurity innovation hub and they needed someone to build and run that practice and uh, that was my first stint in cyber actually venturing into an area which i never did in the past yes i had some background i i knew the proxies i knew uh, the firewalls and ideas and load balancers so from the infrastructure side of it i had some experience but Security is not only just infrastructure, you have application, encryption, compliance, policy, a lot of other things. That was my first stint, and you can say that it was a carrier opportunity, internal carrier move. I applied, got selected in the interview, and I'm glad that from then onwards, my career sailed in cyber only.
0: Why did you want to do engineering and architecture?
1: My background, my undergrad, right? So I did my engineering in electronics and uh, instrumentation, so I'm an engineer at heart. So in industry, when I joined, I got to do like multiple roles. But the engineer at heart is actually pushes me to build something new, like doing something innovative. So in my architecture and engineering role uh, in cyber, what I like most about it is that it is analyzing the current state of the security controls, regardless of which company I worked for or working in, and then understanding the gap getting up to speed with the current industry trends on the technology and threats and vulnerabilities, and eventually coming up with a product or technology and solution to address the problem. And the problem is either patching your, either basically closing your current gap or taking your security posture to the next level, actually thinking beyond what a hacker can think. So since it requires a lot of um, like a creative work, right, and innovative work, which actually aligns perfectly if you're an engineer. So that was like a natural bonding, a sweet spot for me, and that's why I have been uh, doing architecture and engineering and now leading this function.
0: What does cybersecurity mean to you?
1: So cybersecurity to me, right, so not only technology, it is a combination of people, process, and technology. And to me, the definition of cyber, we all have, many of us have AAA membership, right, for your car and... Uh, you get some sort of insurance towing and all. So I also have a triple A for cyber. And for me, those triple A's are awareness, which is most important. As a CISO, if you need to decide on where you need to spend money, and if you think that awareness is a bucket, should I spend money or not, I would really urge, think about it twice, you should definitely invest that money in the awareness bucket. Regardless of what technology processes you put in, until and unless people are aware, unintentional mistakes will happen And some of those mistakes could cost cost bad for the organization. So awareness is number one for me. Agility is the second thing, right? Regardless of you are in an organization of 5,000 people or 350,000 people, uh, you need to be agile in terms of process, in terms of implementation, in terms of execution. In many organizations, there are certain types of process overhead, right? I would not call it like an intentional red tape, but At times, it becomes a red tap where even if you know something is bad, you want to patch it, you want to close the gap right now, you just cannot do that. You have to go through advisory board, approval, emergency approval. It can take days or weeks. In cyber world, you need to talk about like fixing something in hours, if not days or weeks, right? So having an agility from a process perspective is also very uh, important. And the third one in my AAA down the list, which defines cyber is Advanced technology, right? You need to put uh, your investment in advanced technology from your identify, to detect, to protect, to respond, and recover, all five list um, your suggested domain areas. But uh, I mean, in terms of priority, like if I define cyber, what a good cyber means to me is that an organization which spends a lot and has a great awareness. Is really having a, a good edge over competition. Then agility in terms of process and people. And the third one is the advanced technology, which pretty much everyone has. But in spite of having advanced technology, people get bridged. That means the other two are equally important for any organization for cybersecurity.
0: What would you say is the goal of architecture within cybersecurity?
1: So the goal of the architecture within cybersecurity is, uh, again, another story, right? I use a term often called shiny toy syndrome we in the industry right often and especially if you're engineers right if you want to build a house there are 10 different ways of building a house right you can build a house in a minimally cost 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 uh, efficient way or you know power efficient way or you can build it like most luxurious like and have like redundancy of your you know uh, your exhaust your se or any unit like hvac unit you can talk about so engineers at heart are designed to build something in a more complicated way because the more complicated it is, it gives you the creative satisfaction that, okay, you know, I did something really good. But same thing happens in cybersecurity world, right? At times I found wherever, whichever organizations I work for, people design or rather over-design security controls. Now, layering your security controls is definitely good because it follows the defense in depth principle but there are there are many times over designing something does not do any good rather it does harm to you because number one it's cost aside right it's a capex opex expenditure number two maintenance become a nightmare and troublesome number three uh, when you are doing an active firefight the more security controls you have The more data log you have to ingest and make sense and find it out, what is bad, where is bad happening, it takes time, right, which is very critical when you are doing a firefight. And the last one is very critical. Adding more security control does not add a huge value to your security posture, rather it adds more attack vector. Just think about it, right? If you have one load balancer, right, and if you layer it up with, say, another device which does a similar job, then the likelihood of these devices, the more devices you add, being unpassed or underpatched will be higher. That means you are adding more risk to your environment. So architecture's role here is that to make sure the shiny toy syndrome goes away, everything we build is according to a blueprint which architects provide, and the goal of the blueprint is to provide a secure, scalable, reliable, and repeatable design pattern so that you can ensure confidentiality, integrity and availability of your information assets. So in in short, basically implementing a standard and making sure you don't overdo something to complicate things and eventually do harm to your posture instead of improving your posture.
0: So how has it changed since you first started within cybersecurity architecture?
1: So I would say like it is getting more mature over time. Uh, When I initially started, Architecture was uh, definitely a function, right? And uh, it was aligned with engineering. Architecture is a camp I found in different organization. uh, It has been organized in different way. In some organization, they, they actually create different groups within architecture. One is called enterprise architecture. The other group can call solution architecture. So enterprise architects are more high level. Solution architecture is basically getting those abstract concepts into a real life solution, right, with products. Then also have product architecture and all. So these granular definitions improved over time, right? And also another trend I'm seeing is that when I started doing architecture in 2008, having something on the board writing or you know creating a high level schematic of these are the components should interact and talk was good enough, right? You create the document and again, those times there was also a comment that okay, architecture is sort of a PowerPoint architecture. But as days moved on, organizations realized the importance of architecture, like those PowerPoint design patterns are very critical, right, for the organization to standardize, right, minimize the risk posture and also right, reduce the your operating cost and uh, improve your agility in responding fire. At the same time, Architecture team also gradually improved from being an abstract concept and doing it at a block level to a solution level and eventually coming up to a stage where the architecture team can hand over an engineering guideline to the engineers so that they can build a solution according to those guidelines. In other words, uh, the importance of architecture has been realized more across uh, the uh, industry Any point of time, if you go into LinkedIn, you will find a lot of cyber architecture jobs. There has been new job titles coming up as a chief cyber architect, right? Which is uh, a pretty senior level role, owning up end to end uh, of the cyber architecture. And at the same time, architects are also getting more hands on. So in today's environment, if somebody is in the job market and looking into just doing a high level vision, architecture probably will not have that much demand unless someone has a blend of very high-level abstract thinking capability, at the same time breaking it down to the work breakdown structure and coming close to an engineering artifact. So uh, that's what the change I have been seeing over the years. Expand on your experience at Bank of America.
0: You know, what did you do or implement in order to prevent threats when you were working for them?
1: I cannot talk about the actual products, right? I mean, probably I should not be talking about the products and technology. But what I can tell you at a high level, right, In Bank of America, I was responsible for cybersecurity, threat prevention, right, innovation lab. My job was to identify our threat defense in Bank of America, find out the gaps, then reach out to the industry partners, right, be it established partners like Cisco, FireEye, and big players, or it could be like very small startups, right, even a series A startup or even like initially starting up. Uh, in bay area or even israel a lot of good israeli cybersecurity companies are also there and work with them to come up with a solution to you know close those gaps and improve our cyber posture so a lot of times i used to work with those vendors and eventually bring a solution and probably we were the first one uh, to test it out and eventually it also happened i'm not going to name those products Some of the products, three I can, I mean, I know right now, one is in the data leakage prevention market, another is in, you know, SSL load balancing market, the third one is in web isolation market, right? We were the first one to bring them in, got a requirement, eventually helped them to build up solution, tested it out, implemented in Bank of America network and eventually those companies got uh, acquired by either bigger players or even got bigger that they are really ruling in the industry with ipo and all so that's pretty much what i was doing part of my innovation role uh, meeting with the vendors bringing innovation innovative technologies uh, you know implementing them baking it off and you know testing it making sure it works and then my team used to hand over to engineering team for implementation so that's what i did mostly in the perimeter and uh, threat defense and, uh, and your insider data leakage prevention and those kind of uh, uh, technology areas.
0: You've worked at large organizations like JP Morgan, Bank of America, and now BMO. How do you impact across a large organization to impact risk?
1: So that's actually a great question, right? So in order to create an impact uh, first thing is that we should be very clear like uh, as architects right what is our mission and what are our immediate goals and if the immediate goals and mission given to us is basically improve your security posture and also make sure it is future ready and we can only do this thing by i mean we can only do this much that We can come up with design pattern, select the security controls and solutions, and eventually hand it over and depend on someone that they will be executing it. But the problem is that the different business and line of business, right, if it is making their life difficult, if it is cumbersome for the developers to do work, they will come up with uh, workarounds to bypass those controls, right, and eventually that could be um, very, very, very deadly for the organization, right, for the cyber posture so one thing i found and i try to do and it so far it works is that getting close to business right understanding their process how the development community is doing their work what are their enablers and what are their inhibitors right so and at the same time make sure like once we add security by default there is a fear that security is going to add complexity and it is going to take away my agility So if I can design a solution which does not compromise security, but does not impact the developer experience that much that they start complaining that, hey, I cannot work with this control. I think that's a success, right? As long as you can show to your CIO community that you are putting yourself in their shoes, you are an equal stakeholder, you feel their pain. At the same time, we all are working together a common vision improve the security by not making your life too difficult. No question about it, there will be some difficulty, right? The more security control you are adding in, there will be some level of complexity and challenge. If we can just, you know, explain and sell that idea and concept and also uh, leverage automation and orchestration as much as possible so that people don't have to wait for the cyber team with manual approval process for every single thing they need to do, that has worked. I mean, people initially were skeptical, but eventually they collaborated when they saw that cyber team is doing it for the right reason, securing the organization, at the same time, leveraging on automation and orchestration that much that it's a lot of automated process, like a one-click button request, and eventually it gets approved unless they're doing something really, really bad in the organization. So that way, you get close to business, and eventually they also participate, and that is the only way you can impact the overall organization because that's the only way your line of business partners will adopt your security controls, and when you adopt your security control, you are increasing your security posture and making it more secure.
0: Now, more on the personal side, why did you move to insurance and go to Guardian Life?
1: So that's actually a very good question. Number one, it's a different industry. Insurance. I have been in financial, where you are highly regulated, right? You have the PCI, you have the you know financial uh, industry regulation. And when you look at the insurance, right, it's another different world. There are tons of regulations, even it's beyond uh, financial uh, services organizations. For example, insurance has MAR, and Guardian Life being a dental insurance uh, provider, it is also regulated by HIPAA, right? So you have PCI, DSS, HIPAA, MAR, financials, GLBA, you just name anything, right? All those regulatory complications are there in insurance industry, which itself is challenging, and I never worked in insurance before, so that is why I wanted to work in the insurance industry. Uh, number two, compared to my other companies like Guardian, I'm sorry, JP Morgan or Bank of America, Guardian is a smaller company. We are like eight thousand people, like globally, so it is more agile, right? Executing and implementing something is a little bit faster because there is not that much of a like size doesn't become that much of a challenge because we are, we are not that small, right? It's a Fortune 239 company. It's big enough, but it's manageable. And the third one is that compared to uh, JP Morgan or Bank of America, where I was heading up a particular tower of cybersecurity, right? Here in Guardian Life, I am the head of security architecture and strategy where I am responsible for end-to-end for every cyber domain. So it is basically expanding me horizontally across other technology areas in cyber. So these are the three factors actually which uh, attracted me towards this Guardian role and I'm glad that I accepted it. What
0: is your objectives of your role at Guardian Life?
1: So uh, my overall objective in Guardian Life is to standardize security by creating i mean let's go to that okay right objective and key result my objective is standardized security controls don't over design something don't under design something make it repeatable so that we become an agile organization at scale every time there is a new requirement come in you don't have to revisit the design and create something new because you already have a cookie cutter design pattern, you go and implement it unless you have a completely new requirement. So that's number one. Number two, overall, by doing it, creating an impact by reducing cost. Number three, giving a good developer experience. And number four, overall, which is more important above all, everything is improving the cybersecurity posture. So how
0: does strategy link to architecture?
1: That's actually a very good question. In in fact, I have seen even uh, like among us, the professionals, these two words are used like interchangeably, right? Uh, To me, strategy is basically is a plan on how you want to reach your end state, right? And... Architecture is basically sort of a vehicle that allows you to reach to that end straight, right? For example, strategy, if I can give uh, draw some sort of an example here, right? From point A to point B, there are multiple ways of going there, right? Your strategy should be what will be the most cost-effective way and minimum time-consuming way I can reach from point A to point B. In order to achieve these two objectives, like cost-effective, and minimal time, right? I don't want to spend too much time in travel. My strategy could be, right, taking some road, right? And my architecture should be, yes, I can take that road, but in order to do it more efficiently, I can drive for only 60 miles an hour, right, in order to do that, or even more fuel-efficient car. Maybe I'm driving in Honda or maybe something else, right? So architecture is basically giving you the guidelines, sort of a vehicle, to... To, to basically follow your strategy to achieve your end objective for your organization, what you would like to do. How do you prioritize what needs to be worked on? So there are two things, right? Priority, uh, okay, there are three things, right? Number one, something which is a production issue, a bridge or something, and for which we need to design a solution, that gets a priority. Some, I mean, that gets one of the top priorities, Right. If something is a regulatory or compliance bridge, right, that gets the highest level priority. Anything which is opening up a security gap in our production environment, that is the second highest priority. The third one becomes our wish list of improvement, right? What are the things we need to do to improve from where we are? Those are our third priority. And then again, like between third and fourth one is the line of business request lot of times a lot of applications need to hit production it requires certain amount of security involvement those applications may be driven by business need maybe a branding exercise maybe something like a competitive uh, product which will give you the edge in the market right which can you know take your stock up if you can release it to a time frame so those are the things we'll have to evaluate right maybe business driven things go next and then our wish list of improvement goes after the business driven initiatives are so I mean, if I can sum up, right? The first one is the compliance and regulatory. The second one is any security gap, known patch, a hole in your, a punch in your um, posture, right? These are the second. Third one is business driven, like generating more revenue, right? Which will help. And the fourth one is our wish list, how we improve our security posture. So these are the four principles we follow. And after that, we, you know, we, we talk, at times we debate, we run by everyone. On a weekly basis and that's how we decide our um, you know our sprint for next two weeks what we are going to work on.
0: Now you as an organization have a large number of customers how does this change your role?
1: Customers like from my point of view my customers are uh, my line of business uh, users like basically the CIO community right or the CTO world right whoever uh, is using my Uh, technology controls or have to protect their assets using my technology controls. Now, it has not changed from being in Bank of America or J.P. Morgan or even Guardian Life, right? The scale is small or scale is big, but every CIO and CT organization has the equal priority, right, and equal importance, and everybody has to be demanding because they are meeting certain business requirements. And when three requirements come in from... Mm -hmm you know, different CIO organizations, we we, we discuss as a team and then basically figure it out because there are oftentimes, there is no organization, does not matter whether you are 350,000 organization with one billion budget or, you know, 5,000 organization with like one million budget. I'm just giving you an example uh, that you don't have uh, a challenge with resource and project management. Like no, ma- no matter how much budget you have, how much resource you have, you will always have... Uh, a, a, a situation where you don't have enough to basically deliver everything is coming to your plate so during those times as i said like for us every ci organization and ct organization has equal priority when both come into the picture we basically you know share the situation being transparent and honest is another key because that's how you earn trust and respect from your peers and once that thing happens it becomes an easier con- conversation right for the overall goal of the organization, which which one should go first and which one should go second. Once everybody is aligned to those core principles and mutually a respectful work environment and have a trust and bonding, it doesn't become that difficult.
0: Has the implementation of new technologies such as cloud made your job more difficult?
1: Uh, Yes and no, right? Yes, from the point of view is that whenever any new technology comes in, there is a bit of learning curve, and we are facing it every day, right? So cloud year and a half back, not everyone in the team was well-equipped. Now pretty much everyone in my team is either AWS certified or Microsoft or something, right? So people have the knowledge. So initially, the work becomes a little bit complicated till you acquire and grasp all uh, the concepts. But later on, once you see that and you see that these are there to make your life easier, right? And then it becomes your second nature. So after your initial learning curve and making sure the team is comfortable and adopting to the new technologies, that adds value and makes our life easier. But till that learning curve, yes, everybody goes through a little bit of challenge, but that is acceptable, right? At the end, it is for the good.
0: What do you class as a strong security framework?
1: So, wherever I worked, actually, there is not a single framework that we followed. Like, it's not that, okay, there is something called TOGAF, right? You have to follow this, right? Or there is something like a guidelines, like a NIST, right? Or, or something else, right? From healthcare industry that you have to follow it. We try to pick the best of breed, right? Uh, specific to the industry. If I'm working in a healthcare industry, I will make sure, like, some recommendations, like guideline which is applicable to the healthcare industry, I will align to those, But at the same time, I will create my own structure. I will use those recommendations and guidelines or best practices to implement in my space, but I will not be that rigid. So far, wherever I went in, I was not that rigid that I will have to follow, okay, these are the NIST guidelines that everything will be following, right? These are the ISOs. This is what we'll be following. So it's a mix of both. There is no silver bullet. So take the best recommendations. Sometimes you need to uh, take a lot of those because of the regulatory requirement, like or privacy uh, uh, law and all those stuff. And, And these are all to make your life better and augment your security posture. So I would say like it comes with experience. There is no silver bullet that, okay, you follow this framework, that it will work. But in general, in North America organizations, we tend to align with those NIST documents and NIST guidelines and NIST framework and all. It helps, but it's not that we are fully adopting something whatever they recommend.
0: What's the biggest challenge within your current position?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, the biggest challenge in my uh, current position is, honestly speaking, prioritization, right? There are a lot of things that needs to be done, and uh, everything has an importance. And how I manage those prioritization, and at times there is a resourcing and uh, skilling as well, like not all of the projects um, uh, we are handling uh, or we should be handling has all the right skills in the team. And at times, we have to go through staff org as well. So finding the right skill at time and finding the right number of resources, right, uh, is one of the challenge. And second is having enough uh, funding to get all the resources you need to execute so many, uh, you know, conflicting priority projects. That is another challenge, right? So I would say, like, Handling the prioritization is a big challenge because everything needs to be done. Everything is critical. Which one goes first and second? Sometimes it becomes a very uh, tough decision, right? You have to take because when both are equal, right, what do you think, right? Eventually you are taking a bet by not doing, uh, you know, project two, right? You could harm the company. And at the same time, project one is also so critical that you have to do it. So sometimes you are betting, but it all depends on your decision making and how data-driven decision you can do to prioritize. The second one becomes like training your team, right? Sometimes they're not skilled. You have to give some time to acquire certain skills. And third one is acquiring resources as well. Even like when I had like uh, recs open in the market, it takes time to find the right candidate, right? You can find a lot of resume in the market, but when you interview, when you talk, you find that they might not be the good uh, candidates as it sounds in the resume. So filling up those parts with the right candidates take time. In today's industry
0: what is your recommendation in securing funding for new roles or technologies
1: i mean i would say like uh securing funding goes by it has to be a data-driven analysis right uh obviously for the cso's do some third-party assessment as well because when you go and talk to board right doing your teams doing the assessment and third party doing the assessment makes a difference because third party is supposed to be independent, not any influence by you as a CISO. So let the third party assess, see your overall cyber posture where you are as compared to your, uh, industry peers. If you are lacking behind, that basically makes the case to go and ask more money to the board. And, uh, even if you are at par, right, uh, Selling security is not a huge challenge to the board these days. Everybody is aware of security. But only thing you have to establish is a trust that you are spending your money judiciously. Like if you need 1 million, you are not asking 5 million, right? So, and in order to establish that trust, it is basically an ongoing process. The way you present your case, that these are my current posture issues. These issues can lead to these, this, these damages these damages, if I can quantify, like the cost of a breach and all those things, even though there's no proper signs around it, but roughly you can quantify, the cost of a breach could be this much to the organization and this much to the brand uh, reputation. And in order to uh, you know, avoid this, right? I need this much money, which is nothing but like, what is security at the end, right? You are buying insurance. You are buying insurance uh, for car insurance. It's not that your car will have an accident, but if there is an accident, you are minimizing that impact, right? So that's where the investment in security. So as long as you can sell this way and have a data-driven analysis to ask for a budget which shows that you are spending it judiciously, uh, then I don't see any challenge. And make sure those discussions happens throughout, I mean, earlier in the game and uh, throughout this year, right? And also not only one time that you go and seek money, at the same time, Periodic conversation, right? Okay, we sought money, we got money, this is the status. So show some output as well that you guys approved this and in return, this is what we achieved and that's where we are. That publishes that trust and credibility and next time you're going and asking for money next year for securing your resource for projects and all, it doesn't become that difficult.
0: What advice would you give to people looking to
1: get into cybersecurity? So, I mean, I would say like, Knowledge, right? Like any other technology area, knowledge is uh, very critical, right? So make sure uh, you acquire a good amount of knowledge if you are absolutely a fresher in the industry, right? So you know something. There are so many courses available, so many certifications available. Do that so that you gain the knowledge because nothing can beat the knowledge for a fresher when you go and talk to the interview, right? So second thing is that... uh, even for the experienced people, right? Pick up the areas or even focus areas where where you are uh, looking to, you know, get your next career change or job change. And whatever area you focus on, gain enough information, gain enough experience, right, in it, right? So that you can shine in the interview. And the third one is that have the hunger to learn more, right? So wherever you go, try to maximize it create an impact for the organization by delivering value at the same time, like it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Like you are delivering to the organization, getting value, and you are also are learning something which will help in in your future. So be hungry, no matter what stage of your career you are. So keep learning, keep doing certifications. Just to give you an example, right? I do like a lot of cybersecurity certifications. I am a CISSP, CCSP, CEA, CHFI. There's a list, right? And there are ways of maintaining those. You do a CISSP once, you don't have to do it for life. You just do some CPE credit, attend some conferences and apply and you keep your certification renewed year after year. But guess what? Once you certify in 2000 and you just keep renewing in 2019, you are not that much knowledgeable right today because the exam and the course content and everything has changed over the last 15 and 20 years and you haven't just updated yourself. So as a principle, what I do, I do those certifications, and purposefully, I let them expire. And once it expires after three years, I redo the certification. By doing that, I keep myself updated with the latest and greatest happening around me. And uh, that is another advice I will give uh, to the security professionals or asp- uh, aspiring uh, security professionals.
0: Now, what I didn't tell you was mm-hmm. that we finish with 10 quickfire questions at the end of every episode.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so are you ready? Yep. yep. What turns you on professionally?
1: Uh, any challenging work. What turns you off professionally? Uh, basically, the negativity in the environment and bureaucracy and red tapes. How do you unwind? I basically watch movie, listen music, and I spend time with my family. And I'm a foodie as well, so I enjoy going out for dinner with my family.
0: What profession other than your own would you like to
1: try? Honestly speaking, my passion is traveling. A lot of times I think that I was basically working in Discovery Channel and traveling a lot of places and creating videos and vlogs. So probably that is another profession I would be interested to try. What activity gives you the most energy? Uh, I would say when I'm working and fully trying to solve a new problem or something, I'm always uh, energetic. Other than that, uh, anything like spending time with uh, family and friends and, um, you know, like doing anything, maybe a gossip or something like a social bonding and gathering. After doing that, I feel like very uh, refreshed and energetic. Who is your biggest inspiration? So my, to be very honest, my biggest inspiration is my parents and uh, my family. Other than that, there are some idols right uh, famous uh, people who are my inspiration but i would say like i would put my parents and my family as my inspiration
0: if you had to present a speech right now what one word would
1: be its subject <laughs> technology i'm a techie so i <laughs> speak Speaking. in cyber conferences CISO panels everything is all about techie so if i have to write something even day before yesterday i just posted my uh, Uh, blog it is on technology so i'm a passionate techie so technology could be one of the words immediately if it comes out of my mind you are at your best when you are doing what okay i am at my best when i am uh unwinding with my family either on a travel or vacation and uh probably that's the best side of me if today was the last
0: day of your life what one lesson would you impart? Basically, live
1: life every moment and uh, uh, try to unwind, spend time with your family and loved ones. Work and stress will always be there. Uh, need to just find time to live life to the fullest extent because you never know which is your last moment. If heaven exists,
0: what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates?
1: Uh, I would say like doing good work, helping humanity and uh, spreading positivity to help the mankind. Uh, I personally feel about like giving back and I'm involved in some of the non-profit organizations. Some organizations raise money for uh, cancer cure and I'm actively participating in those because I... When I do those over the weekend, I never feel like I'm exhausted. I can spend time. And I feel like giving back is very important to help the mankind and humanity. And if I'm allowed through the doors of heaven, probably that would be one of the reasons. Where can people find your work? So I am an active, uh, uh, I post actively on LinkedIn. If somebody is in my my network, uh, should be seeing all my posts. Even David for yesterday, I posted something on uh, you know, application security. How to spend money prudently, and other than that, uh, there are a lot of conferences and seminars. Uh, pretty much one or two, one or two seminars a month, or at least one or two panels. I do participate. So, in the conferences, they will definitely find me somewhere. In somewhere, I'm speaking or even sharing some uh, presentation. Other than that, my LinkedIn.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.